welcome to the Cork Church Podcast. We are so glad that you are joining us today. We hope this message inspires you, builds your faith, and encourages you in the things of the Lord. Enjoy the message. I was going to say bon nuit, mon ami, because I'm learning French. Amen. <laughs> good, good night, everybody. Good evening, actually. Praise the Lord. Lovely sense of the Lord here tonight. Um, we're very blessed here at the church. And the Lord, over these 20 odd years, has always um, been so kind to us. Always so faithful to meet when we come together in His name. When two or three are gathered together, Jesus said, in my name, there am I present in the midst of them. And I, I just think um, I, for one, can give testimony that He has never, ever disappointed me. And if you are here tonight and you're searching or you're watching online, he won't disappoint you either. He is the only one that doesn't disappoint. Amen. And we are blessed to have him. I loved when Andy said you on the worship. I think you thought about just being saved, didn't you? You just And uh, I was thinking the very same thing. I was just saying, you know, Lord, I find Wednesday night's a bit of a difficult one. Midweek, I get that slump. Anybody else feel the same? So coming in here in my car, I, I'm a little disoriented. I'm a little tired. I'm normally kind of hidden, putting on the slippers at this time of the evening. But during the worship, I just got that sense. I'm so delighted I'm saved. I'm so delighted that Jesus found me. And uh, he rescued me from myself. <laughs> okay. He rescued me from myself. Praise his wonderful name. I, I want to continue uh, a little bit from, um, not to, to add to the incredible teaching that we received Sunday morning from Pastor Patrick. And again, I would encourage anybody either here that didn't make service or watching online, it's well worth going back over because uh, the Christian life is a life that is of total dedication to the things of God. And uh, we're going to look at a principal character that really indemnifies that or lives that out for us. But, um, you know, I think of Jesus telling a parable in Luke 12. We, we won't go there because it's, it's, I'm off script at the moment, but it came to my mind. And Jesus tells a story about a man, a rich man, who had wealth. And he said to himself, you know, I'll tear down these old barns. I'll get so much harvest coming in. I'm going to build some new barns. And, and I will have, I'll have wealth laid up for many days ahead. And and uh, the Lord said, you fool, for tonight the Lord requires your soul. And how, would, shall, not, how shall it not be for the man who is not rich towards God? Uh, or, or actually, the word is generous towards God. And it's a fantastic line of the words of Christ. How shall it not be for the man who is not generous towards God? And so the, Christian, uh, the, the attributes of the Christian is always going to be the attributes of Christ. Uh, these are not forced attributes. These are the natural progressions as we let the Holy Spirit uh, master within our flesh. We will, we will bear complete uh, representation to Christ, our moral representation, our, our true rep representation of Christ. So generosity, as we heard, uh, I think, what was your title Sunday morning? Um, you can't remember. I, I think it was something about uh, uh, love gives. That's what it was, love gives. And, and the whole motivation of the Christian is not out of like what the Jew had. The Jew had a compulsion to give. Uh, didn't quite understand the love of God, actually. You know, they, they, they would believe in the love of God, but really erred more on the fear of God and, and then to win the affection of God through the keeping of the, of the Ten Commandments or the 613 laws of the Jews. So, they, they, you know, when, when Christ comes, you know, it's, it's a huge revelation because the gospel, he went from preaching the good news to the poor. I mean, what good news is it? Uh, keep more commandments, you know, was that good news, you know? I, I, you know, listen, what we need is a good old revival of the Ten Commandments going on here. You know, well, John tried that, and he had a certain level of, uh, you know, social restraint by people trying to live by religious rules and laws. But the preaching of, of the good news was something different. The preaching of the good news is that, first of all, as he said in John 3.16, for God so loved the world. You know, and uh, the revelation that the motivation of the heart of God is a heart of love reconciliation, friendship, uh, to bring, reconcile all things to himself, 
to make a way back to you even though you don't deserve it and I don't deserve it. Uh, regardless of our pitiful behavior, he says, I'm going to outwit that. I'm going to outfox you and I'm going to bring about a new covenant that's so inclusive and so powerful that it will, it will overcome every element of the fall of Adam and it will bring you to a tremendous rest in me. That's the kingdom. See, that's the preaching of something new, a new covenant, a relation that's based upon a more fuller understanding because Jesus came to reveal the Father. And up to this point, the Jews have enough revelation that it's all there, but the human nature always lenses God through its fallen view. It's true. Every man, woman, boy, and girl ever created has a fallen flesh, so we look at everything with a faulty lens. And, and that can be not just our theology or the things of God, it can be even misconstruing a conversation, you know, and, 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 and an innocuous conversation would have with someone and did you hear how he said, how he said that? Oh, did he mean this or did he mean that? You know, and, and so we're, we're, we're so convoluted, we're so, we're so twisted. But, but thanks be to God that Jesus, even though he'd given the revelation in the new covenant of the love of God, it's only when he came in the flesh to reveal the Father. John, when you see me, you see the Father. And, um, and so we see he comes full of grace and truth in John chapter 1. But then your generosity, uh, I'm just looking at that. We're going to head to a character tonight, and I hope you'll enjoy it. Um, I'm, I'm all over the place, but everything's good if I can get it out the right way. Can you, can you say amen? <laughs> so pray for your old pastor this morning on Wednesday night, you know, because it's the word of God, amen. We want Christ to be extolled. We want to leave here smiling. Actually, before we even come around, I just because I'll forget it, do you know that downstairs on the door tonight is our brother John? Show him a lot of love tonight, amen. Because he's generous to us every week out of his own pocket. He buys chips for the whole congregation. Not the church. John does that. And yesterday was his birthday. Happy birthday, John, if you're watching downstairs. I know he's on his camera. But uh, again, generous heart from this man. But the reciprocity of it must be that we show generosity to him. Amen. Generous people often give more than they are asked to give. Did you know that? You know, um, we see that, and I'm going to give you a few examples before we go on to our chief character tonight. In Exodus chapter 36, it's a tremendous story when, when, when uh, Moses puts out the call to the people that God had given them the plans of the tabernacle, and they were trying to get the artisans, and they were trying to get the wealth to create a, a place for God to meet with his people. And the people were so um, generous of heart that they gave, and they gave, gave to the point that they were giving too much. You know, and, uh, and Moses had to turn it back and says, we've enough gold. I mean, you don't hear that from the prosperity preachers today. They just keep on taking any of it. But we have, enough, we, we, we have enough, we can do it. But it was about the heart of the people. The, there, was a, there, was, there wasn't every generation did that, you know, but it shows something of the heart of grateful people. They, they gave more than, than they were asked to give. You know, generous people will always respond to great cause. You know, you may pay your tithe and give your offering, but you know, there'll be an offering from time to time, go around, because we want to help the Ukrainians. You say, I'm just after giving my tithes, but you know what the Holy Spirit touches is, even if there's a penny, you give it to the poor. There's a need comes your way. And we see that in Second Corinthians in chapter 8, because the Macedonian church, Paul was commending the Macedonian church to the Corinthian church in this passage. And it was all about the Macedonians, that they're actually quite a poor church. And he was saying, this poor church... They were sacrificial in their generous giving to help the saints in Jerusalem. And he was just commending them. And he was then telling to the, the, the Corinthian church, you used to be like this. Now, don't, don't fall off the back of the wagon here. Don't start a generous Christian and end up being tight. Don't, don't, don't be like that. Don't Continue. Continue with that benevolence in heart. Don't change, Christian. Don't let, don't let financial pressures change you. Don't let other people's ideas change you. Continue to be a giver all the time. You know, Jesus said, how much more greater is to give than it is to receive. And there's a, there is something very joyful of being the giver. There's something very stodgy about being someone that holds all the time. And the scripture says some very funny things about the man that doesn't give. We won't talk about that tonight. Actually, he says, I shut up your bowls of compassion. So you can think about that later, okay? It's a very stodgy thing when you can't move, okay? And some people spiritually can't even move because they don't know what it's like to give. They've withheld all the time. So there's this 
this commending of Paul to the generosity of the Macedonians, which are 800 miles away from Jerusalem. They're Gentiles. They have no real affiliation to the Jews, the Christian church in Jerusalem. Other than there was a great need, and the call went out, and they gave, and they gave, and the Corinthians were also encouraged to do the same. Generous people give out of their abundance. We see that in Luke 21, if you want not to turn there, but verses 1 to 4, Jesus is sitting at the gate of the temple and he's observing people coming in and rich people are giving their money and putting it into the temple and they gave out of their abundance. Generous people give to undeserving people. It's an interesting passage of scripture uh, in Genesis 45. You know, it's the story, we all know the story of Joseph. And, you know, Joseph's generosity towards his brothers and his family, the very ones that beat him up, nearly killed him, debated about killing him, beat him up, threw him in the pit, and then, you know, had a bit of a conscience, but sold him into slavery. And for many years, he ends up languishing in, a, in an Egyptian prison for something that he never did. Uh, but yet God's favor was upon him. And we know the story, great story. God elevates him to the second in authority in all of Egypt. And his family, all these years later, believing him to be dead, come because there's a famine, they're looking for food, because the family, the family is going to perish. And of course, he is benevolent and generous, he gives them more than what they even deserve. You see, so generous people, even when people don't deserve their generosity, there's something about the nature of a generous person, and particularly for a Christian, because it's a reflection of what Jesus is. It truly is. We'll move on. Generous people give even to people who are different to them. Uh, Jesus, uh, there's a tremendous uh, uh, account in Luke 7. And it's about, a, it's about this Roman centurion who's got a sick servant. His servant is dying. He sends word to Jesus that would you come quickly, my servant is perishing. And the Jews who are going to Jesus are bringing the story to say, listen, this, this guy is a Roman centurion. You know, so he's not a Jew. But he's incredibly kind to us Jews. He's built us a synagogue. And he's a generous man. And uh, so they're imploring of Jesus. And the story is a phenomenal story because, you know, they, 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 meet, they meet the centurion. And he says, you don't need to come any further. He says, I'm a man of authority. And if, if, if you were to say the word, my servant would be healed even right now. I, I say to one soldier, go. And he goes. I say to another soldier, he comes. He comes. I tell someone, to stand to attention, to stand to attention. But I know what authority is, and I know you have authority. And if you'd say the word, my servant would be healed. So not this man's generosity always came from a well of faith. He had a belief in God. And so generous people even give to people who are different. The Jews were different than him. But there was a benevolence and a generosity in him. You know, people, generous people give to see the impossible made possible. Hallelujah. I love this one. Because this is the story of a little boy that gave up his lunch to see what Jesus could do with it. You know, <laughs> and that's a reality. That's a real story. It's a real event about feeding 5,000 men and, and plus women and children after that. And, and Jesus tells the disciples after a whole day of teaching them by the Galilee, go feed them. And they're like, they're running around like headless chickens. What's the guy trying to do? Is he trying to, you know, really shame or fate in front of everybody here? Is he a, is it a shame, fate shamer, <laughs> you know, trying to show us up, you know? There's all this shaming going on today. Maybe Jesus is just fate shaming us all and, uh, and showing our, our lack of, uh, you know, competency here. And there's a little young fellow, we don't know how old he is, but he is a boy. So he's under the age of 12. And he knows there's a, uh, there's a call for food. And he's, he's like, I've got a few loaves and fishes. You know, I'm sure. See, that kid was a generous kid. Which kid is going to give up his lunch? See, it's not like going to Ashton School here or another school where there's canteens and cafeterias and someone will sub you. We're talking about a time when subsistence people barely got by. You know, bread was not easy to come by and fish wasn't easy to come by. And, and these things, people starved in these times and he's giving up his... But I believe generous people give to see God do the supernatural and the miraculous. So when I was giving my tithe and offering tonight, I'm saying, oh God, do far and, be, far and beyond what I can even ask or think with this, Lord. Yeah. I just even prayed it, you know, Lord, let it not just meet the needs here, but far beyond the boundaries. That's the heart of generous giving. No, generous people give as a result of their own transformation. This is a nice one for us, because all these stories, we kind of know them. We, we know all these kind of teachings. 
But I just want to tie it together here a little bit tonight. Maybe hopefully encourage your heart. Zacchaeus, we know the story of Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus is a little sneaky Jewish man that turned against his own people, collaborated with the Romans, you know, and really worked his own people off to get taxes out and pocketed an awful lot of the taxes from his own people, gave the rest to the Romans. So he was a pariah in his own community. He was a collaborator, a turncoat. If it was like Garland, you could say he was, you know, he was working with the British against the Irish, even though it's not a fair comparison. But that just let you into the sort of thinking. He was despised in his community. He was a little sneaky man. He wasn't very tall, you know. So every, you can imagine every joke that was going around about poor old Zacchaeus. But he gets transformed by God. And you know, when you're transformed by God, it, it creates a generosity in you. And he says to the Lord, he says, you know, come to my house. And Jesus is going to go to his house with him. And, and he said, Lord, if I have taken anything from anybody, I will return four times the amount. Amen. And, uh, so generous people, the giver is as a result of transformation. Hallelujah. Thank God today for the love that has been shown to you and I. Amen. We read last week, that Sunday morning, we talked about generous people give out of their poverty. We saw the, the woman of Zarephath. But also too, Jesus talked in Luke 21. I'm all over Luke today. And there was, he was again watching the temple and the rich people giving to the Lord. But there was, a, there was a widow there and she had two little silver coins. or two. They called it the widow's mite. And that's all she had. And she gave what she had to the Lord. Even giving out of your poverty. I've been in parts of the world. I remember one of my first missions trips and the and we never take offerings when we go on mission trips. We never take anything out of that community. We raise money to put in there. And I remember that poor community, and they took up an offering for me after I ministered. And I didn't, I didn't want to take it. I don't, you know, it, it, you, know just, you just don't want to do that. You know? uh, I had to, so I didn't offend them. I put it back another way. But there was something in the hearts of these very poor people that wanted to give because God had blessed them so much. And to rob a poor person from making their contribution to giving is to rob them of a level of dignity. It's to rob them of a level of ability, a level of, to show their own kindness as well. But it's, it's a fantastic thing when we see this widow putting her might into the, into the temple because she had such conviction and such generosity of heart. And Jesus commended her generosity and her faith. But I want to have a look tonight, um, really, of, of someone that I think that really kind of encompasses you know, all the aspects of what generosity looks like, or at least most of them. And again, it's, it's found in Luke 10. So if you have a Bible tonight, feel free to turn to the Gospel of Luke. If you have a tablet or device, Luke chapter 10. Just stay off Facebook, please, and emailing and all that sort of nonsense. <laughs> so, we have our people in the auditorium watching. I'm only joking you. But um, this, is a, this is a great, great um, account. Jesus is... Um, the background of the story is that Jesus had sent the 70 out two by two, and they've gone into the hinterlands preaching the gospel. And they come back to Jerusalem, just outside Jerusalem. They're probably by the Kidron, uh, not far from Bethany, in between Bethany, in between Jerusalem. So just, we've been there a number of times, my wife, in that area. And, and they come back, and they're rejoicing. They're, they're the 70 to know, so it is not a small group of people. The 70 of these disciples come back and they're rejoicing, telling Jesus that even the demons are subject to them. And uh, they were rejoicing because they went on preaching the, go preaching the gospel, the kingdom of the gospel. And uh, they, there, was, uh, there was that growing appetite within the people. So it was a great, you know, if there was a great report coming in that day. So this is the background of this. And, uh, and uh, you know, so uh, you can imagine the, the scribes and the Pharisees are watching now. Je Jesus' ministry is, is on the radar now. It's no blip. There's 70 of his disciples. There is demons being cast out. There's people being augmented to Christ. They're being drawn to his words. The, the hope that's in his, his gospel, the love that is in his voice for the people, his acceptance of people, his love for the poor, his love for the children. You know, uh, you know he, even, he even makes his way to the publicans and the sinners and he shares the kingdom with them. And you know, he's really turning the sort of, the sort of uh, image of what a spiritual man looks like because the Jews, of course, had perfected this idea of what righteousness looks like and you would never have anything to do with sinners but it was tax collectors and sinners and the, the, he said that it was the sick need the physician 
It was the broken. The, the problem was that the righteous didn't see that they were broken and therefore didn't see that they were in probably bigger need, as big a need as the sinners were of his salvation. And so there's this, you know, at this time, you know, there's a, there's a, great, uh, there's a great sort of uh, uh, euphoria coming around the ministry of Christ. So looking at verse 25, um, then one of the experts in the religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? The man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus told him, do this, do this and you will live. I don't think there was anything dour in Jesus' voice. I think Jesus right, you got to right. If you can do this, you're going to live. If you can do it, <laughs> you'll live. But the man wanted to justify his actions. So he asked Jesus, but who is my neighbor? And Jesus replied with a story. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest came along, but when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road. It wouldn't have been too far because it was a very narrow road, okay? Uh, so he, he would have sidestepped it. Rather, it's not like a two-lane highway. It's, it, this is a, I'll go more into the elevation of this afterwards. And he passed him by the other way. Another man, a Levite, or a, some scriptures would say a temple assistant, a Levite, walked over, looked at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side. Then a despised Samaritan came along. And when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritans soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and he took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, take care of this man. If the bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. Now, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by the bandits? Jesus asked. The man replied, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said, yes, now go and do the same. So it's a fantastic, it's a fantastic scripture. You have this legal expert, this lawyer in the law, and uh, they were very commonplace around the temple. They would give instructions because there wasn't loads of rabbis who would talk about the, the, prop, the proper action or acting out of the law uh, of Moses and what was expected, particularly the pilgrims that were coming in that mightn't be too off favor with the wrong Yom Kippur, a Passover, and different things like that. And they would advise them on, on how to engage with the temple worship. And so they were experts in the law. They, they knew it very well. And so th this man, you know, he's watching Jesus' ministry. And of course, when, when you go to the commentators, they're saying that there's kind of two things probably happening here with this man. He's probably testing the method of this new rabbi called Jesus. Now, we know Jesus is the Messiah, but they call him teacher or rabbi. It's the same word uh, in a Jewish context. He's a religious Jewish teacher, he's a rabbi. And so they call him rabbi. But the testing's metal. How well does he understand the scriptures? What sort of answers he gives? But there's probably a level of quest as well in this man that he would answer such, uh, uh, that he would ask such a question of the Lord. And Jesus doesn't try to betray him in any way. He doesn't try to trick him in a wrong way. He tries to lead him on a journey of discovery about himself and about his salvation. And so this, this, this man, you know, he, he asks this question of the Lord. And uh, of course, Jesus makes it rhetorical. Well, what, what do you think? You know, it's always a great way when you talk to people, when they ask you a question that's difficult, you go, so, well, what's your understanding of the question? You know, <laughs> it's, a, it's a great tactic to have, which I employ loads of times when I'm stuck, amen? Uh, and uh, and, and I, I always say to people, well, what's, well, how do you see this? How do you see that? And, uh, and so, um, you know, that, that was, that's what was going on there. And of course, uh, he answers correctly and he says, well, the two greatest commandments are love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. 
and love your neighbor as yourself. And upon these two things, the whole law hangs. And he was right because the first few commandments are really broken down in your love towards God. Um, you shall have known, I'm the Lord your God. You shall have known the gods before me. You shall not make any images. You shall keep holy the Sabbath. You know, and, and then the, the other ones then were towards man. You know, you shall not commit adultery, honor your mother and your father, and you shall not uh, covet, and so on and so forth. So the law was really broken down in those Ten Commandments to your duty towards God, your outworking of the love towards God, keeping holy the Sabbath day, and then your outworking towards man. So when you distill down what the, what the Ten Commandments meant, it, it was distilled down in one great commandment of loving God and loving people. And this is theologically 100% accurate. This is a, a very eloquent, very, very quality distilled version of 10, bringing it down to two so that men and women can understand what's happening. And of course, the Jews again had their own understanding of who their neighbor was. And of course, their understanding of their neighbor was not Samaritans. Their neighbor was their own Jewish people. They didn't have a lot of time even for the Gentile. The Gentile was known at that time to them as the goyim, which is the dogs. You know, so uh, they, they weren't very flattering. You know, the Gentiles weren't very flattering towards the Jews either. But I just wanted to tell you, there was kind of no real love lost there. It was more like a Mexican standoff, socially and culturally. And uh, so Jesus tells the story of, about this, this man on his way from Jerusalem to Jericho. Now, I've, I've been to the outskirts of Jericho on a couple of occasions. Didn't quite get in there because every time I passed Jericho, it's under the Palestinian Authority, and there was a bomb alert and security alert, and we couldn't go into the city of Jericho. But just for, uh, just for information's sake, it's about 18 to 20 miles from Jerusalem to Jericho. And it's on, Jerusalem being the highest really point city in Israel, Jericho, I think, is uh, 1,200 feet below, below sea level. So there's an elevation, Jerusalem being the highest, to 1,200 feet below sea level. So it's, it's a, quite a steep gradient over, uh, over the 18 miles. It's arid, it's dry, it's rocky. It was notoriously... Now, Jericho is one of the, if not the oldest inhabited city in, in the world, they say, definitely in the Bible. So that's been constantly inhabited down to, from what we can remember back. So it has a lot of history there. We know the history of Jericho, the walls falling down, Joshua taking it, and that was one of the major cities of the Canaan lands at the time. So the, the road from Jerusalem to Jericho was notorious. Bedouin tribes would live in those regions, mainly, mainly Gentile, and they would take opportunity when they would see the poor Jews on the way to Jerusalem, they would have money with them, and that would be a great time to get them or get them on the way back. You just don't know what sort of look would be. And so the story goes, this man obviously fell among, among thieves, and they, 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 they left him barely with his life. They robbed him, they stripped him, so he's naked. Everything was taken back then. Clothing was expensive. I mean, honestly, people talk about Jesus' garment. They let nothing to waste. Someone's going to die, we take everything. You put him in the ground as he is. Everything is reused. You, you have no... There's, there's not like we do today, you know, it's not like pennies, you hear people going on holidays, they go to pennies, they fill up the suitcase, they go over there, they leave all the clothes behind them and fill it up with the suitcase with booze to get back. No, you don't, you didn't do that back then, okay? Everything was valuable, everything was needed. Am I right about pennies, by the way? Yeah, 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 I've, I heard rumors, okay? And, uh, so uh, this man fell among very difficult times, and, uh, you know, it, it says, as a, a priest... Uh, walks by. Now, you know, uh, Jericho was at that time a, a location where an awful lot of priests lived. So it really was kind of like priestville, okay? Uh, it was, it was the, really most of the priests lived in Jericho. So it was really sort of a, quite religious and they serviced the life of the temple and uh, there would have been many, many priests involved. Now to be a priest, you had to be of the, the line of Levi and Levi would have been the third son, I think, of Jacob and Leah, when you go back in your Old Testament. So the, their third son was Levi, and out of his lineage came the priestly line, the Levites. And out of, out of, out of that, you know, out, one of those Levites was Aaron, which became the lineage for the high priests. Okay, so we know of Aaron, the high priest, he was Moses' brother, uh, and, uh, and so he was the high priest. And out of his lineage, all the high priests came, even though they're all from the tribe of Levi. So it's interesting what you have. You have, you have a priest. Uh, so he's obviously of the tribe of Levi. And you have a Levite. Who's just of the tribe of Levi? Uh, Levi. He's not a priest. He's just part of the wider family clan. Um, uh, obviously a religious Jew on his way back. Both of them 
would have been very versed in the scriptures, both of them would have had religious upbringing, and they passed by this man, and he's broken, and he's bleeding, and of course, the religious priest just has a look, just steps on the other side, not interested, walks on. Then the Levite comes along, you know, he's not a priest, but he's of the family, and it does exactly the same. But along comes this Samaritan. Now, you know, to understand the, the dilemma of the Samaritans, the Samaritans were, they were known as half-breeds, okay? I hate to be politically incorrect, and today everyone's watching their words, but that's how they were viewed. They were viewed upon as being someone that had, had really defiled the land of Israel by their very presence, because what, how they were introduced into the land was when the Assyrians, many years earlier, when they annexed the northern part of Israel, the ten tribes of Israel were annexed under the Assyrian Empire, and taken and scattered throughout the world, you know, there was obviously some Jews left, but what the king of the Assyrians did is that they planted into Syria then, into Samaria, they planted these, what they were called Samaritans, and they were people that would have been, the Assyrians would have cultured in the Jewish faith, and in secular paganism, and in local dialect, and they planted them there to dilute any insurrection of nationalism. It's a little bit like in our Irish history, you know, the, the, the British administration sent a lot of Protestant Presbyterians to the north of Ireland to dilute the Catholic population. That's just a reality. I'm, I'm not saying it was right or wrong. That was just the way they did things back in those days, okay? So you can imagine to the nationalistic religious Jew, you have these people, Samaritans, that have an understanding of the God of the Bible, the stories of the Bible, but they have defiled it with pagan thinking as well. So it's, it's, it's this hybrid. It, it, there's nothing worse uh, to the Jew than to, 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 to mix his religion up. You must remember, even in the laws of the Jews, they were, the, the, the strict Jews couldn't have mixed fibers in their clothing. And that was to show that you couldn't have mixed doctrine. You, could, you, couldn't, have, you couldn't have mixture in. You had to keep it pure. You had to keep the, the teaching, the oral and the traditional law completely right. And there was no intermarrying. And there was, you would never take upon the practices of, of, of the nations around you. But yet the Samaritans were these enigma because... You know, they, they would attest to the God of the Bible in many ways, but with all these other pagany ideas. And so they were hated because they were viewed upon having enough knowledge of Judaism as to be able to confuse some of the more weaker Jews. And yet, so defiled in other ways that they were going to be a malignant influence upon society, they were detested. They were not liked at all. In actual fact, in the, in the synagogues, when, we're, when, they were talking, when they were being talked about in the synagogues, it was said that if you were to help or be involved with a Samaritan, you would be bringing judgment down upon your house. Interesting. Now, you know, I didn't invent this. I had to go and learn all this sort of stuff for you from, from commentators of the past. That just gives you a sense of the dynamic that we're talking about. So when Jesus is probing the hearts of this Jewish teacher, he's really probing it. He's shaking everything up. So when he tells the story that, you know, the, the chances are that the guy that's lying in the gutter, according to every commentator I, I read, the guy that's being beaten up in half dead is probably a Jew. And along comes the enemy. Or, you know, the, the, you know and you know, he, he doesn't pass him by. He has compassion upon him. I, I love this, friends, because it challenges me. You know, limiting my fate to just a personal thing. So many of us have done that. My fate is very private. You hear people say that in the sort of wider Christendom world, but you're hearing it increasingly when in the Christian evangelical world. That somehow you can hold your belief in the things of God and be indifferent to being generous. There's something wrong. If we find ourselves like that priest who had the right religion, Judaism was the vehicle. To them it was the prophets and the scriptures and the savior of the world came and Jesus was a Jew. They were not the wrong religion, they were the right religion. But James tells us, what good is your religion if you can't control your mouth? What good is your religion if you can't be generous? What good is your religion if you can't be kind? There's something wrong with the host, amen. There's something that needs addressing in all of us and it needs addressing down and it needs addressing and it needs healing. 
Because you don't want to go another day in, 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 in some sort of, you know, my, my Christianity is like, as I said Sunday morning, like a la carte, you know what I mean? I, I, I just take what I want. I leave the other bits behind. And that's not the gospel. I'll have this bit of the gospel, but not that bit of the gospel. It's like the Jews when they came up to Passover. And God told them he was going to send the angel of death into, Israel, into Egypt. And he said, you better mark the blood over the doorpost because the angel of death's coming. And go in, shut yourselves in and eat the lamb. But there was instructions on how to cook the lamb. And there was instructions on the herbs that were used. And there were sweet herbs and there was bitter herbs. And you had no choice. You had to eat the bitter with the sweet. And that was your life. If you're going to eat the lamb of God, friends, if you're going to partake in the body of Jesus, it's the bitter and the sweet. You can't just be partying at all. I'll have this bit. This is very socially convenient. I like what the church offers me with social life and protection or whatever it may be, whatever. But I want to tell you, friends, you can't live like this priest did. His religion had no effect upon his life. He turned away from his own flesh. Couldn't see the wood for the trees. Faith has to affect conduct. It has to affect everything. I love God, but not people. How can you say that? How can you say that? And if you have said that, you need to go to God and say, oh God, you need to give me a generosity of spirit to those who I struggle with. You need to change me, God, because it's just not right. Don't make an excuse for it. It's just not right. He doesn't beat you up. He still loves you. But you must not make a treaty with those aspects of your character that are not being surrendered to God. You can't do it. It will shut up your bowels of compassion. It will shut up your ability to give to need around you. You will become stingy and stodgy and you will become useless in the kingdom to everybody, including yourself. Just like the man who's not generous towards God. Tonight, you fool, the Lord requires your soul. And then who will have all your goods that you've laid up for yourself? I love God, but not his church. Oh my gosh. You don't love God. Any man who says, I love God, and doesn't love his fellow man, I've been telling him the love of the Father is not in him. That's what the scripture says, what John tells me. Love of the Father is not in you. You have to challenge. You have to. There comes moments of sobriety for Christians that, you know, that we started out with, with, you know, when Paul, when the writer of Hebrews tells, remember the earlier days in the conflicts that you're in, when your goods were confiscated from you, and you were publicly humiliated, and you stood side by side with those who were, and you were glad about it. Now don't throw away your confidence, he says. Don't, don't say that was bad. Don't say I was misused. Don't say I put my time in. I've, you know, I've served my time. Now it's about me. No. They walked by this man. He didn't have some sort of personal faith. His faith cost him something. His faith had a restraint upon his character. Whatever the Samaritan had, friends, there was a, he has been held up as a picture type of virtue, kindness, quality. And it wasn't some personal faith that didn't cost the man anything. The man had to physically use his time. Oh, some people say, what, well, you know, some pe- there's so many people on the spectrums in the life of the church. Some would just put their money in the thing and do nothing for the gospel. Won't preach to another person, won't share the gospel, won't take up a broomstick, won't do anything. Oh, I'll I, I put my 10% in. Others, they won't put their 10% in and run around do everything. But I want to tell you, friends, the Christian life is all of the above. Amen? It's all of the above. And this man shows us what a Christian should look like. He gave, not just of his money, he gave of his time. He gave of his emotions. He invested into the situation. Gave of his wealth. You know, I just had to look back and see what would the equivalent be. And he gave two denarii to the innkeeper. That's two days wages. Let's say he's a mid-incomer. Just say it's 100 euros a day. That's 200 euros. Are you ready to strip off 200 big ones when God touches your heart? You're going to be thinking, oh, no, I could do with that, you know. You know. Car tires are getting bald or whatever it is. And turn away from your own flesh and turn away from the need of your city, the need of your neighbors to hear the gospel, the need of the, 
of the gospel to be preached in this world, disciples to be made, missionaries to be supported, hungry to be fed, children to be discipled. See, when you're generous, you're, you're no different than the people of old in the Bible. It just becomes part of who you are. You, as I said, Sunday morning and wrapping up, closing on the service, it's worth saying again. Generosity becomes part of our DNA. It permeates every bit of our life when we start to cultivate it. When we start to cultivate it. Apostle Paul, when he was commending the Corinthian church about raising support for the church in Jerusalem, I don't fully really know what the need was. There's some talks that there was some famine hit Jerusalem at that time. The crop failed in AD 53 in, in, in Egypt and it affected prices and it, it had an adverse effect upon the poor, but there was also poor Macedonia. Aren't you quite sure what was going on there other than the call came for generosity? And sometimes you're not always sure exactly what the need is, but when the call, when the call comes, always be giving. You mightn't understand how everything is structured, how everything's done, but that's, and he commended them, and he says in 2 Corinthians 8, verse 9, for you know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, though he was rich, for your sakes became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. And is that rich for yourself? No, it's to be rich towards God. To be a constant conduit. He gives in, he gives to you, you give out. He gives to you, you give out. He gives to you, you give out. I remember old, an old preacher, we used to, many of you won't know him now, some of you will remember him. B.H. Uh, Clendenin, he was a great Christian man, great preacher. And I uh, remember him sharing his testimony how he was a gunner sergeant in the South Pacific in the Second World War. He was 19 years old when he signed up after, the, after he saw the, the rising sun flag uh, rising up over, uh, over the Philippines and after what happened in Pearl Harbor. And he said, as, he wasn't even a believer. He says, I would never see that flag fly over Texas. And it motivated him to join the army, became a gunner sergeant. And uh, he, went through the, the, he went through three and a half years in the South Pacific without any furlough. That meant he was in combat all the time. They were so cut off at times, he said, they used to chase after the Japanese just to get the fish heads and the rice. They were that hungry. They fought over rice. They, they, he said it was horrendous. He was in some of the worst fighting. But when he came back from that war, he got wonderfully saved. He was an alcoholic. He was a gambler. He was married. He loved his wife, but he couldn't, he couldn't um, be the husband he wanted to be. Alcohol controlled him, and he got wonderfully saved. And uh, he tells the story. That, you know, his old pastor, you know, came to him and says, B.H., I need to talk to you. He says, talk to him about what? I need to talk to you about tithing. That's a very tough subject when you get a young convert in who's trying to get a, young, a home and a marriage under him and try to get his life back on track. He said, you know, he said, the tithe belongs to the Lord. And he's he told him why, what the scripture has to say. He says, well, he says, pastor, he said, he said, before I became a Christian, 90% of my money was going in alcohol, smokes, and nefarious behavior, he says, and God delivered me from all that. He said, and all he wants back is 10%. He says, I'm up 90. I'm up 80, he said, I think it was, I'm up 80%, he said. And that's the reality. Yeah. When I came to Christ, and when you came to Christ, he put an order in us. Vices didn't hold us anymore. Drugs, alcohol, smokes, all, God took them away, one by one by one by one. I remember my old dear dad, ever coming up to his anniversary this Friday, 70 cigarettes a, a, a day 70 major they're the tough ones to give that high nicotine major couldn't and yet god in one moment of his grace took them out of him hallelujah and all of a sudden there's a bit more money in your pocket because you're not paying 10 or 20 it was only four three or four euros back in those days for a pack today and i would think there's a, a mortgage to get a pack of cigarettes or something it's that high thankfully but all, you know all of a sudden there's a bit more money because you're not drinking you're not smoking do you know what generous people do with that? Spend it on themselves. No, they don't. They find somebody to help. They, they fulfill their duties as Christian men and women. Why? Because faith governs everything. 
And if it doesn't, you don't have real faith. You've got a secret faith. With a secret salvation. With a secret church. Paying a, paying a secret tide. That no one will ever see because it's a secret. Living a secret Christianity. With secret fruit. That no one ever really sees. Talking about a secret saviour that you'll not talk about because it's a secret, it's private. Not so with the Good Samaritan, friends. Everything that he believed in his convictions through his understanding of God, he lived. It cost him, yet the religious that had more superiority in their doctrine and more lineage and more pedigree, they walked over the need and they made their excuses. But I want to tell you, if you want to be a real neighbor in this world and you want to be a real Christian in this world, then be generous. Just before the service came, she said, what's the title? And I said, I have no idea the title, but I, I landed on the title. Generous, a generous God, a generous son, and a generous church. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Jesus said, no man takes my life. I lay it down for you freely. And we are to be a reflection of God the Father and God the Son. Remembering that you and I were the true ones that were left bleeding and dying on the Jericho Road. That sin had brought us into a car crash, if you want, for want of a better term. We were left in the sight and a heap of life, broken and bruised. He found us, some of us late in life, some of us with addiction, some of us full of regrets. And what did he do to us? He poured in the oil of his Holy Spirit at salvation. And he poured in the the beauty of his blood upon us at Calvary and he bound up our, our wounds and he placed us in a church and he said to that church I'm giving you the Holy Spirit to look after him Amen and you're here today because you've been spiritually looked after because God placed you in his church he found you bleeding and dying on the Jericho Road and he poured in the oil and the wine he placed you in the church and one day he's coming back Hallelujah no, my, all those wounds will be healed. And the memory of what sin done it will only be a memory to testify. It will never be a painful memory. That's why I'm one of those believers that don't believe for one second that when we get to heaven, our, our minds are wiped and we'll never remember anything sad of earth. I believe we'll remember everything of earth, but we'll have such a testimony of joy for what he's forgiven us from, what he delivered us from. And we say, wow, it seems impossible. It seems like another life, but it was another life. So Christian, in wrapping up Giving Week, because that's what we're going to call it now, Patrick, from love gives, to God gives, the Son gives, and the church should give, to being the true Samaritan, because we are the real half-breeds at the end of the day. Amen? We are the real half-breeds. Paul says, not many of you were from educated homes, not many of you were from noble backgrounds, not many of you were had silver spoons in your mouths, put it in modern English. But God took the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. Hallelujah. He poured his love, his kindness, his greatness, his Holy Spirit into you. And he sends you forth into this world to share and shine the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I'm so delighted you said it. So you said, I'm so delighted I'm a Christian tonight. Amen. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. And it wasn't with the paltry things like silver and gold, friends. It wasn't like that. It was the precious blood of Jesus. That paid for me. And I am eternally grateful. And that gratitude is like Zacchaeus. Lord, if I've offended anyone, I'm going to apologize. And Lord, if you've given me, I'm going to give out. I'm going to be generous in how I speak, in how I act, in with my finances, with my time, with all of the resources you've given me. By your grace, Lord, I want to be like Jesus and reflect him. Hallelujah. Because that's what a Christian should be. And that's what the Holy Spirit is doing in you and me. And I want news for you, he ain't finished yet. But when he is, oh my gosh, when you let him, when you say, oh God, have your way, he says, right, I got you on the wheel now. Let me, let me continue to work on you. And it will be a vessel of honor filled with the Holy Spirit. And you look back one day and say, what a great life it's been. What an adventure. Will you stand with me tonight as we just honor the Lord?
Hallelujah. Maybe challenge our own hearts. And, <laughs> and not even just challenge our hearts. Rejoice for what God is doing in us. Amen. Amen. It's not to condemn any man or woman. This is just parallel the greatness of salvation and the possibilities which are all possible for you even now. And if you have lived in foolishness as a Christian, stinginess of life, indifferent to the need around you, at a moment of brilliance, which could be tonight for you, you can say, oh God, by your grace, I'm going to reflect you. By your grace tonight, Lord God, do something that only you can do with my heart and in my heart and through my life. I'm going to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes for a moment. Because maybe someone here wants to do business with the Lord. I'm talking about a Christian. You might be here tonight and you say, you know what? I needed to hear this. I've been walking by the need all the time. It's always someone else. Someone else can carry the can. Someone else can do it. And I've been absconding and I've been behaving like a, an absolute child in the house of God. It's time for us to go on to be sons and daughters, not children anymore. And maybe that's you. And, 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 and if it is you and you've, you've, you're ready to confront that in you, well done. Well done. It means you've heard the word of the Lord tonight. And it's already started in you. I can just reassure you right now. It starts with a moment of true reflection in your heart and crying out to the Lord and say, Oh God, Spirit of the living God, fall afresh upon me. Make me, melt me, mold me, fill me, use me. And may my life truly reflect you, Lord. Lord, I pray for Cork Church. I pray for me, Lord, my wife, Lord, my family, my children, my grandchildren, Lord. Lord, I, I pray, Lord God, for my brothers and sisters, my spiritual family. Every one of us, Lord, will start to truly reflect you, Father. Help us, God. To just not, Lord, compartmentalize you into one aspect and, and leave you there. And just act like some self-righteous priest or Levite. God, forgive us, Lord. Oh, we bless you tonight for all that you've done, Lord. God, we give it fresh our lives, Lord God. We just say, take it, Lord, from this moment on, Lord God. It's, give us, remind us in the morning, Lord God, of what we just said tonight. Remind me, Lord God, that the next opportunity, Lord. Holy Spirit, come and remind me and give me the fortitude and strength to trust you. For I'm going to need you, Lord God. You know, this life in closing, friends, is not a life that you can choose, but you do have to choose. It's not only choosing, but you do have to choose. It's a life of the Holy Spirit that you have to say, Oh, Lord, the blood has cleansed me, but I need that oil to flow again. The oil of the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit to start flowing in your life. Thank you for tuning in with us today. Make sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Cork Church. Also, make sure to like and subscribe to our YouTube channel. If you have any questions at all, you can email us info at corkchurch.com or just check out our website www.corkchurch.com. Again, thank you for tuning in and see you next time. God bless.